0: Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. How y'all feeling? Blessed. You're doing all right. Good. I got 12 people that are doing all right. Well, good to know where we're at this morning. If you don't know me, hello. Nice to meet you. My name is Corey. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it is my distinct honor and my distinct privilege to bring forth the word to you all this morning. Uh, I'm wondering if I have uh, more than a handful of people who are ready and excited to get into the word of God this morning. Do I have more than a handful of people who are, okay, praise God, I see your hands in the back. Praise God, if you've been with us, you know we've been walking through the series called Provoked Church. If you're hanging with me this morning, say "provoked." provoked. If you're gonna try and stick with me as long as possible this morning, say provoked. If we're going to fight together the temptation of the devil to stay off of those electronic devices and the apps that they prevent, say provoked. Amen. We've been in this series called Provoked. We've been walking through the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, and that brings us to the story of a young woman named Hannah. Hannah, as we have discovered over the last several weeks, was someone who was married to this dude named Elkanah and uh, their situation is that Hannah, though she desperately wanted to, could not have a child. Elkanah went to means and resources outside of what he perceived Hannah was able to provide for him and so he married a second wife named Peninnah. And the text picks up where year after year, scripture tells us they went to this place called Shiloh, To worship, where Elkanah would divvy out the sacrifice, Uh, Hannah would weep and be upset, and Penina would just poke and provoke and taunt Hannah for not being able to have children. Until Hannah eventually crying out to God is in God's own wisdom and for God's own purposes. Is blessed to bear a child. And that is where we pick up our story. The text, as I said, is 1 Samuel. If you have your physical Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. If you do not, then that's okay, because there's a faithful reading of the text up on the screen. We're picking up in verse 21 of the first chapter of 1 Samuel, the scripture. Says this, when Elkanah and all his household, this is after Hannah had a child, went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explain to her husband that after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and he will stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Because what do you keep in your purse? (laughs) Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. And then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy named Samuel to Eli. Please, my Lord, Hannah said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. I'm going to read that part one more time, just in case we didn't get the emphasis. I prayed for this child. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the child to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then they worship the Lord there. I've mentioned this in here before. A few years ago for Christmas, I was dawned with the sudden wisdom to gift. My family, a Nintendo Switch. It was supposed to be a gift for the children. (laughs) And rest assured, in many instances, most daytime functions, that is true. But eventually, these kids got to go to bed. And since then, my wife and I have enjoyed indulging in the old arcade games. Because if you are as old or older than me and nostalgic like me, you found out that the Switch had these old arcade games and you jumped right back in like you was a little kid. One in particular that has ruled in our house is the arcade arcade game Bubble Bobble. Y'all hip? Good, like 10 people know what it is, but... Bubble Bobble is an ongoing game to level 100, right? Like, you don't stop. There's no save. There's no pause. There's no dying more than a set number of times. You have your number of lives to reach 100. Well, this summer, when Rachel had her surgery and we were at home for a while, our kids decided, you know what? Our parents are very passionate about this arcade game. We too will become passionate about this arcade game. And much to our delight slash annoyance, they picked up the controller with us and started playing Bubble Bobble with us. Now, if you have a child at home and you allow your child to indulge in such childish things, then you know that inevitably they get to a level in the game where they can't do it anymore. Not that their focus isn't there, it's more so that like their level of skill, their level of knowledge of how to play the game does not match the level of intensity that that level within the game presents. And so then there is a request that is made. Dad, do this one for me, right? And I get handed the controller. And I fix whatever spot Kaylee's gotten stuck in. And then she is quick to snatch that controller back. But here's the thing that in my flesh and in my frustration, I want to communicate to Kaylee. Is that if this level of intensity is too much for you and you needed my help to get past it, don't you think by natural logic that you will need my help to continue in this game. Don't you think that if this level of intensity has got you feeling trapped where you're at right now, don't you think it's gonna hit you even harder if you advance past it? So then, applying natural logic, why would you take the controller back? only for five seconds later for you to be like, Dad, will you do this for me? Yeah, or you could just let me play because I will win. Man, am I the only one in here this morning? (laughs) Because if you didn't catch where I'm going at some point, Kaylee is all of us. We call out to God to get us through something hard right? We call out to God when we realize that our natural resources are no longer enough to get us through whatever circumstance it is that we're facing. We call out to God. We reach a point of frustration, a point of being upset where we're like, God, just take the controller. And then God sees us through because, spoiler alert, that's what God does. And then we're so quick, to snatch that controller right back and be like, thank you, God, for helping me through this difficult time. I'll take it from here, sir. When in all reality, what we're not perceiving is that on the other side, life doesn't stop. It keeps going and it keeps increasing in intensity. And the much wiser decision would be for us to hold up our end And allow God to continue playing with the controller of our lives rather than so quickly and so hastily snatching it back, perceiving that just because he got us out of one spot, we're good to take it from here. In the text that we read this morning, we pick up where Hannah now has that option to decide whether or not she's going to take back control of her own situation. See, she had gotten to a place where she was stuck. She had gotten to a place where her own natural resources were no longer able to get her through her own agony, where her own frustration, specifically in Hannah's case, over not being able to bear a child, was, was, was beyond what her human and fleshly capacities could take. And so she, she, she cries out to God to take control of the situation. Lord, there's something I want, but I can't do it. There's something that I want to get to. And I even think that it might just be your will for me to get there. And yet there's nothing I can do in and of myself and my own person to see myself through to the other side. And so, Lord, I need you and I need you to help me out. And what we see from Hannah in earlier verses that we read several weeks ago, what we see from her is something familiar to all of us, I would venture a guess. And that is the, the, the if then statements that follow in prayer, right? Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. We begin to bargain with our Heavenly Father, right? And so Hannah says, Lord, if you would. Bestow upon me a child. I will dedicate said child for your purposes. If you give to me what I want to be blessed with, I, out of my own gratitude, will give the blessing back. Now, she could very well go on with the rest of her life. She now has birthed a child. She now has a son named Samuel, and she could keep going with Samuel. She's got him now, right? She could take the controller back. But what she communicates to Elkanah, the first part of what we read this morning, is that she intends to do something different she intends to hold up her end of the promise to God. And so when the boy was weaned, which in their culture was after about three years, at about three years old, maybe slightly older, she takes Samuel, her son, to Shiloh to dedicate him to the Lord just like she said she would and to leave him there with Eli to be raised in the priest's home, to be raised, dedicated to the ministry of the Lord. Now, Can I get out of the text real quick and just keep it real with everybody this morning? Is there anybody that's still tracking with me that I can keep it real with this morning? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine agonizing over something, wanting something so badly, wanting a child so badly, being blessed enough to have said child, and then to give it back for the Lord's purposes. Can you imagine agonizing over something that you want so badly? Agonizing to accomplish something that you want to accomplish so badly that you need the Lord's help to get there. Only to get there and realize it's your time to dedicate it back. She was tormented and provoked over this for years. She had finally been delivered. And now she's faced with the decision to let the child go. Give him to the Lord? You ever worked so hard for something? You ever agonized over something? You finally get there. You finally achieve it. And then you go to church on Sunday, and the pastor standing up there has the audacity to tell you to give it to the Lord? Oh, yeah. You ever been to that place? Well, if you haven't, <laughs> you ever worked so hard to get out of poverty? You ever work so hard to reach a particular tax bracket? Yes, sir. You ever convince yourself in your mind that a certain level of income will drastically change your reality? And then you get there and the Lord you so faithfully called upon has the audacity to ask for some of that cash back. You ever pray and pray and pray for a relationship? then someone comes, the, comes along and the Lord's wisdom that he bestows upon you is to honor him with said relationship. Don't just do whatever it is that holds on to homie that came along, but actually like honor me with your relationship. Actually hold to the guidelines and the expectations that the Lord lays out in scripture for a relationship. Lord, you know how long I've waited for such a situation and now you are gonna put expectations on it that I don't already have for it? You ever develop or discover a skill? As you have, you ever prayed to the Lord to reveal to you how he sees you? You ever prayed to the Lord to show him what you're good at because the world has convinced you that, that there's just there's just nothing there, that there's no purpose that you serve? You ever prayed and prayed and prayed and asked for the Lord to reveal to you a purpose, reveal to you a skill, reveal to you a gifting, reveal to you something about yourself that is valuable in this world, and then he does it? but then expects you to serve him with it? That feels like a lot to ask and honestly, it gets me to the place where I understand why we hold on to what we've agonized over. Suddenly I understand perfectly what it is to agonize over something, to finally have it and then rather than acting out of gratitude to the Lord who gave it to you in the first place, we act out of self-preservation and protection over the thing for fear of never losing it again. And what that causes us to do is make rash and harsh decisions about what we are and aren't willing to do for the Lord because Lord, you know how hard it was for me when I didn't have this. But the truth is, church, if I can just keep keeping it real with you, although your silence tells me maybe I should pull up a little bit, but I'm going to keep pressing just for a second. If I can be real with you for a second, the truth is it's not about give and take that the Lord doesn't operate in transactions like the market does. The reality is it's actually about our gratitude. See, I have no doubt that if Hannah would have held on to Samuel, Samuel probably would have lived like a normal whatever it looks like to have Elkanah and Hannah as your mom life. Probably would have been like whatever, right? Gone to school, got a job, had kids of his own, did whatever, right? Whatever. I have no doubt it would have been a thing. That would have been a legitimate option for Hannah to take, but, but it's about gratitude. It's about our gratitude for understanding the reality that all that we have is God's graciousness and God's divine generosity bestowed upon us. God has been so generous, so good to us. God, despite how we may feel about him in really hard times, God is a kind God. God is going to see us through when we call on him because that's what he wants from us. And furthermore, what he wants from us is a heart posture that echoes the love and generosity that we have so freely received. And out of that love and generosity, we give back then from what the Lord has given to us in the first place. Let me ask you this morning explicitly, are you giving back to the Lord from what he has given to you? Are you actually offering to God from a heart posture that echoes the love and generosity that he showed you Or is the effort you are giving currently out of your own fear, self-preservation, and lack of desire to go back to whatever condition he saw you through? The reality is our faithfulness and our gratitude choosing that path then has more ramifications, greater ripple effects, if you will, than if we choose the route of self-preservation. Don't believe me? (laughs) Glad you're so skeptical. Look back at the text we read this morning. Elkanah reappears in this side of the story. You know, the last time we saw Elkanah, you know what he was saying? This is before Hannah cried out to the Lord He looks at Hannah, and Elkanah, most famously in verse 8, says, Why are you crying? Ain't that just like a dude? (laughs) Why are you crying? Why are you so upset? Why won't you eat anything? Why are you so troubled? He goes on, he doubles down, he's bold. He says, Am I not enough for you? Oh, Ain't that emotionally manipulative? Am I not enough? Am I, is the relationship with me not better than having 10 sons? Yeah. Don't get mad at me. That's what he said. He ruined it for all of us. He's tripping. But now we see him drop down to verse 23, the passage we read this morning. What's his response to Hannah. He says, do what you think is best. Yeah. He says, I affirm your decision. Stay here. Stay here until you've weaned the child. It sounds like you have thought and prayed about this, right? May the Lord confirm your word. Okana goes from a place of uh, not being very considerate, right? I was trying to find a nice way to say it. I think I did it. Not being very considerate. Right? He went from a place of not understanding and not taking the time to understand what she's got going on, an overall lack of sensitivity to now he is empowering his wife. Now he is affirming his wife. Now he's even, by saying, may the Lord confirm your word, now he's even going as far as to pray for his wife. And what changed for him other than Hannah's reality? See, Hannah, out of her own faithfulness, her life, her testimony, without even being intentional about it, changes the heart of Elkanah. Her own circumstance, her own faithfulness, by natural byproduct, Elkanah sees that. And his heart posture has changed. Can I bring up one more thing? Where's Panina? We didn't read about her today, huh? Oh, you had so much to say, verses 1 through 11, Pete. But now all of a sudden we on verse 21. There's a little boy running around and you don't got nothing to say. Did you see Hannah check her one time? Did you see Hannah go out of her way to address Panina at all? As a matter of fact, Panina was the aggressor. Did, did Hannah ever go out of her way to even address correct? Lift up Samuel as if he's Simba and the Lion King and say, Panina. Look what I got, girl. Not one time. It's taken care of. She got nothing to say. God deal with her heart. Right? Isn't it beautiful that Hannah had all of these obstacles, all this relational brokenness, her husband's tripping, her husband's baby mom tripping. And not one time do we read in the text where she goes, she goes to the Lord that resonated way too deeply with some of y'all. I'm just saying like the way that that just hit in this room was crazy. That was crazy. We're just going to call that out, bro. That was crazy. It was crazy. But she's dealing with all these problems that apparently more than a few of you are also dealing with, right? But not one time do we read in the text, Hannah goes to the Lord and says, fix them, God. Reveal it to them, God. They're cold tripping. They're being mean. They don't see it. Reveal it to them, Holy Spirit, the ways of their iniquities. She doesn't do that. What does she do? She goes to the Lord about her condition. She goes to the Lord about her heart and her heartache. And she puts her faith in the Lord to change her own condition. She doesn't pray on behalf of these other people that are her obstacles. She doesn't rebuke The way that she's being treated, she prays for her own heart. She prays for her own condition. And isn't it just so beautiful that out of said faithfulness, those other barriers just get out of the way and change without her even having to go on a side quest. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that beautiful? Maybe I'm alone in this, but I feel oftentimes I'm tempted to pray for other people's hearts more than my own, right? I feel like oftentimes I catch myself praying for for, for other people's hearts to be prepared, for other people's hearts to be willing to receive, for other people to, 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 to realize the speck that's in their eye while wholeheartedly and willingly, prayerfully ignoring the log that's in my own. I feel like I'm so tempted to, to, to pray things like, Lord, help them see that they're wrong, right? Help them see that they're being unfair to me. I don't know about you, but I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of those prayers return to me in a satisfactory way. People still be tripping. When in all actuality, what God may actually be wanting from me is a change in my own heart, a change in my own posture. See, when my focus is on my own heart and what I can control, which is my own faithfulness, God has always been faithful to me to work out the rest. And either those people suddenly aren't obstacles anymore Or perhaps I mature to the point of no longer hearing or letting other childish things bother me. Or perhaps God does genuinely use it as a testimony to reveal other people's hearts to themselves, maybe. But I can't go in with that expectation, right? And so my conviction recently, I was sharing this with somebody recently, my conviction has been every time that I'm tempted to pray for somebody else's heart. Not, not, like, not like, like, like you're sick and I should pray for you, not like that, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like every time I wanna pray for God to fix somebody else's heart who has offended me, I'm instead convicted to pray about my own heart. Every time I'm tempted, Got it. This is the devil. Every time. Stomp out the devil. Just me? Okay. Um, every time I'm tempted to pray, Lord, you see this, right? Yeah. You see how they're being unfair to me, right? I know you hear the words that they're saying, right? Every time I'm tempted to pray for somebody else's heart to be changed, I'm convicted to pray for my own. Because what I know is what God has done in and for me, by my faith, is much greater than anything I could have imagined. It's well, one more thing before we get out of this text for a while. There's one more thing that I just, I can't resist but to, but to point out. It's that there's a, there's a recurring thing in this. In this text that keeps standing out to me. You know what's interesting to me, and I even I even went back and I checked other sources. I checked what other people, what other scholars had to say about it. I checked the the the, the Hebrew. I checked what other translations were saying. Because one of the things that stood out to me so evidently is the repetition uh, about the way that this text talks about the fact that Hannah couldn't have a child. Right? I think our expectation and our natural just like like the, the the short leap that we make it to is we say things like Hannah was barren. But do you know that the Hebrew is never explicit to say that hannah was barren do you know that 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 every time it mentions the fact that hannah couldn't have a child what it actually like more literally says is that god had kept her womb closed that God had kept her from having a child. And I can't help but like, I know the dangers of casual reading and I know that this is like an easy, easy logical leap for us to make. Like, oh, she can't have a child, therefore equals barren, except that that's not the way that God talks about it. So like, I shouldn't look at it that way. It's interesting to me because when it's put the way that it's put, I feel like that suddenly indicates to me a little bit of foreshadowing then. That if in the beginning of this text, it said Hannah had been kept from having a child, that a little bit of foreshadowing would allow me to logically reason that perhaps God has another plan. That perhaps God had intentions to birth something by faith, that he didn't want something else put into the world by our own natural means. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But he needed something to be put into the world by somebody's faith. And so he chose Hannah because she knew, because he knew that she would have it, right? And so by 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 Hannah's faith, God birthed something holy. See. What God knew was that Hannah had faith. And what he also knew was that he had a plan. Hannah had faith. God had a plan. Hannah had enough faith to trust the Lord with her circumstance. God, in his infinite wisdom, Is faithful to work it out. Samuel was birthed by not natural means, but by faith. And because he's birthed from faith, I can't not do like a quick overview of the rest of the next two books of the Bible, what Samuel's legacy goes on to be who Samuel goes on to become. Yeah, he's left there with Eli and he serves in the Lord's dwelling place faithfully. But do you know that he goes on to rise to prominence as a prophet, right? And not one of the kooky ones with a 1-800 number. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like one who hears intimately from the Lord. He hears God's voice. The, The story that Jada touched on a few weeks ago where somebody is crying out in his sleep, Samuel, 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 I can't do your dad's voice like you can, but like Samuel, 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 and he goes because he's convinced that it's somebody naturally in the house, and they're like, nah fam, that ain't Eli, that's God, you're hearing the voice of God that clearly, do you know that because he was birthed from faith, Samuel hears the voice of the Lord so clearly that he could swear he was next to him. Do you know that Samuel goes on to lead the Israelites out of over 20 years of oppression at the hands of the Philistines? Do you know that when, when, when present rulers and present leaders quite literally did not have the heart, I wish you would catch the fact that that was such a bar right there, didn't even have the heart to keep fighting the Philistines literally, it was Samuel that rose to the occasion to lead them out of oppression. Did you know that it was Samuel that God handpicked to, to lead them from an era of judges to being ruled by some of the greatest kings that we still remember to this day? Did you know that it was Samuel that God Tapped on the shoulder and said, go to Jesse's house because the greatest king, a boy after my own heart, lives there. He's out in the fields. He's with the sheep. And he is who I want to anoint to be the greatest king. If y'all didn't catch it by now, I'm talking about David. Did you know that it was Samuel that was handpicked to go anoint David's head? Did you know that it was Samuel who is to this day remembered for his leadership? For his prophecy, for his service to the Lord. What God can do with our faith is far greater than anyone can imagine. If we have the faith, we can rest in confidence that God has the plan. God has the plan necessary to work it out do you have the faith this morning third street yes, do you have the faith to see god do something great Hallelujah. do you have the faith to see god do something great let me give you the hard spot oh. it comes with really hard decisions yes, it, does. it comes with calls that we don't want to make in our flesh It comes with things that are going to cause us to question ourselves or be really afraid of the consequences of making this decision. It comes with the cost of of our fear, being afraid of being broke, being afraid of being alone, being afraid of never making it. It comes with that. Wondering. Wondering if this is all going to pan out. And in all likelihood, it's not going to pan out the way that we imagine it. Have I painted a bleak enough picture? If we have faith, God has a plan that not only answers and eradicates these fears, but leads us to a place of promise that's even greater than what we had imagined in the first place. I think of the fact that Jamie had a birthday recently. And when I asked her what she wanted, you know what she told me? donuts, Dad. I want donuts. And you know what's awesome about that as a dad? Is I know that I can meet that expectation. Amen. Baby girl, I got you donuts. And I'm the best dad in the world. Do you know what's even better? Is that what I have for her is so much greater than donuts. I got the donuts too. You will be satisfied. Your belly will be full. But what I have for you on this day is so much greater. We go to God with these hard expectations of things we cannot obtain. And God looks at us and he's like, you know, the beautiful thing about being your father is that I know I can meet your expectation and I also can do more. I know that there's a hard reality in here this morning that many of us are struggling with the promises of God. Many of us are struggling to believe that God will see us through. We're wondering if walking this path is worth the risk and the heartache. If I do this, I leave myself in a vulnerable place. Is it worth it to possibly get hurt? Is it worth it to possibly end up the way that I don't end up? We're asking ourselves if God's promises extend to me too. I see how God included Hannah. Crazy enough, I even see how God included Elkanah and Panina, but does he include me too? I see how Jesus included the disciples, but does he include me too? I know many of us are wondering if it's even possible. Does God even still work things out like that anymore? Or is this just a whole bunch of ancient texts that we're chasing until we find something else? I know we're wondering if it's just better to do it my own way to take the controller back, because if I have the controller, then at least I control my own fate. But can I tell you that for as many of you that have those fears and wonderings this morning, I'm looking out at just as many of you this morning that have a story about how faith, having a little bit of faith that God would do something great, radically changed your life. As a matter of fact, I'm standing in a building That only exists and is open to us and does the things that it does because somebody along the way had faith that God was going to do something great. I'm looking at many of you this morning that are only here right now because you had the faith that God could do something great in your life. I know that some of you are only in this room because you have the faith to believe that God will do something great in this community. Jesus once said it this way in Matthew chapter 17. He said, you have, you have such little faith. That man, if you, if you even understood that, if you even just had the faith of a mustard seed, and in case your grandma didn't teach you this one, it's, that's really small. That's really tiny. I don't assume that everybody here is garden aficionados like a few of y'all folks, right? That's really small. Jesus says, if you would have faith just of a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to move. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I hope that you understand at the very least what the Lord is calling us as a church into. God is calling us to express the gratitude that we have from his graciousness, and his generosity, and to express it in every area of our lives. To be not a hater or a self-preserver, but to express gratitude. The Lord is calling us to give to him our hearts and our plans and trust him to work out the barriers. Yes, He sees that they're tripping too. But we trust him to work out the barriers. The Lord is calling us to have the faith to see the Lord do something great right here and in our own lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have been given to receive from your word. And Lord, we understand that these words were written a really long time ago. But the very spirit you sent to inspire the words that we read this morning to be written is the very spirit that brings them to life, reality, and practical application in our daily lives. The very spirit that inspired your words, the very spirit that brings them to light for us, the very spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the very spirit you have given so freely to dwell within us. And so Lord, we ask humbly that you would help us by your spirit participate in your will. Because Lord, when we have faith to see your will through, the end result is more fulfilling, is more satisfying, and is filled with more joy than we even originally had hoped for. Help us today, Lord, with our faith. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have held on to things you've asked us to give over. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've stood in our own ways. Forgive us for the ways that we've taken back the controller and said, thank you for bailing me out. I've got it from here. And Lord, give us the faith, even if just as much as a mustard seed, to believe that you will do something great. Lord, impart within us today the faith to see you do something great.